Welcome to the acclaimed podcast, Deep Dive with Andy and the White Whale. Welcome to the Deep Dive. We have a special episode today that I am extremely excited about recording. We are going to dive into the world of heavy-duty analytics that is burgeoning right now in the golf space. I cannot wait to get uh, some thoughts on the record with our special guest today. Uh, Andy, let's give a warm welcome to our guest, none other than esteemed author Joe Pita. Welcome to the Deep Dive. How are you doing this afternoon? Very well, guys. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, talk some data and some golf. Yes. Um, for those uh, who are curious, uh, you would probably know Joe from the analytical masterpiece trading basis, uh, which in my opinion, at least, has kind of formed the cornerstone of advantage play in the MLB markets um, currently. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's really challenged the way things were, you know, were being done. Uh, and, um, you know, our good friend uh, Barry Horse really has kind of taken the flag and, and run with it in that <laughs> regard. Uh, and so it's cool to finally, uh, um, you know, get you on and, and get some thoughts because it seems like you're pivoting now from baseball into the world of golf, the brave, brave new world of golf. Uh, and when it comes to golf uh, handicapping and golf data and analytics, it does kind of feel like you're, you know, more or less, you know, writing, you know, writing things from the ground up here. Is that about right? Yeah, I would call it a green field. Um, certainly, we have some analogies to baseball. I, I sort of look at this as being in the early stages of baseball. Um, so that would be the mid 90s of baseball sabermetric writing. Uh, we have an analogy in that we have a godfather of both, Bill James, of course, uh, among other pioneers. But but he was the he was the first one that really got the wide the readership of of uh, his work. And in golf, we have Professor Mark Brody. Uh, he invented strokes gained, and that had that opened the floodgates to a lot of analysis, much of which he has done. Uh, and he everything he has done has formed the framework or the pillars. Uh, for all the work that is being done currently, and certainly it forms the basis of everything I do. Uh, but I will say, after being familiar with baseball, I still see uh, ways that we can advance golf understanding of golf and, and golf analytics uh, using you know the, the same baseball model. I like this. Um, before moving off of baseball, we are going to talk about baseball. Yeah, it's, like the, yeah it's, it's the standing standing on the shoulders of giants kind of thing as far as you think about how, like, how strokes gained just, I mean, it makes it makes total sense, but, like, to come up with it, to actually think of it, like, that's the trickiest part. And once, once you can put something together like that, and it's like you compared it to baseball, once they started to get into the analytics of baseball, just every year, I mean, every winter and spring, there's, like, five new baseball stats that people are, they just keep taking and building onto it. And I guess I, I feel like that's just from what I've been looking at here, you feel like that's where golf is heading, where it started with a few of these analytical, you know, data that people were using to start to handicap it a little more data driven and just every year things get added and things get added and we can start to take some of the uncertainty out of things and actually feel a little better about placing some of these wagers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly um, right the uh i know we, we didn't really come here to talk baseball uh but i know you're a philly guy 
Uh, do you have any quick thoughts for us on the uh, on the impending Bryce Harper area era, which may uh, I, may go on for the next millennia? I will I will tell you. I have been getting texts um, from my uh, widowed mother, who is still in the uh, Philadelphia area and is uh, um, over eighty years old, and she is very excited uh, and is, is hitting me with a lot of Bryce Harper questions. And I haven't I haven't felt that excitement uh, from you know, my friends and, and family in the hometown since 2011, really since Chris Carpenter spun the, uh, you know, one nothing gem in the uh, uh, final, uh, the game five of the first round of the playoffs that year against Roy Halladay. Uh, that, that sort of ended that era of Phillies baseball. And hopefully now six, seven years later, uh, we can start a new one. So, yeah, it is exciting. Um, we'll see. You know, I don't really have a great feel for whether it was a, proper contract and, and the value. Uh, it's a little worrisome to see a guy's power peak at an age much earlier than is sort of normal. Um, but uh, hopefully the ballpark is a good fit for him. And certainly the on-base percentage has not, uh, you know, has remained constant even as his, as some of his other metrics have uh, fluctuated. So hopefully it's a good fit. And it is, it's, you know, it's exciting when your team, you know, has life. That's, it make it does make spring more fun. That is uh, phenomenally more optimistic than I expected from a Philly fan, but uh, I guess <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's good to hear. Um, the uh, okay, <laughs> let's get back into golf, man. Uh, so you recently published a um, uh, a guide to the Masters. Uh, I have uh, gotten a chance to read it. It is absolutely eye-opening, mind-blowing if you haven't really thought hard about how you would go about handicapping golf. I've bet golf now uh, 10, the last 10 masters for sure. The last, I don't know, I would say the last probably 16 majors. Actually, I've, I've skipped the PGA championship mostly, but, um, you know, but I definitely, I'm kind of the, kind of the prototype you know, guy who cares when it's a big deal, uh, and tunes in. I absolutely love the masters. I think a lot of our listeners probably feel the same way. Like it kind of, kind of has a special, you know, kind of, uh, you know, place in a lot of the sports viewing and sports betting public's, you know, heart, you know, not number one, because we all kind of grew up watching Tiger Woods and number two, uh, because it's just kind of such a cornerstone of the springtime. Um, and we know the course. It's a tradition. Know, it's a tradition. Some would say unlike uh, any other. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's very cool that uh, there is a resource out there to, you know, to give you such a leg up in terms of handicapping this event, which is, uh, you know, which so thank you for that. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess it brought to, to my mind like, oh, wow, like, okay, you know, Sports betting is becoming more acceptable. That's that's great. Um, you know the the end of the prohibition that we went through last last May has really kind of starting to bring this into the forefront of of you know sports conversation, which is awesome for people like us who are you know kind of borderline degenerates, I guess. Um, and uh, I was just curious, like, you know, do you have some background about sports betting that you're willing to talk to us about and oh, kind of give us some sure. some yeah. some inside scoop? Yeah, I mean, I grew up, I, I can't say how I was first drawn to it. It didn't come from my parents. Being a sports fan came from my parents, but not the, uh, you know, my dad didn't come home with parlay cards from work. Um, like I know some some guys, you know, got introduced uh, uh, to football that way. But from a, really from middle school on, I was buying the pro football betting guide 
um, that would come out every August. In fact, I found a couple of the old ones on eBay and I put them on my, uh, I have them on my book, book uh, case. So they were, they, they were magazines and, and one was called football action and it's, uh, you know, your, your guide to the college and pro, uh, betting annual. And, and I've got them back like in the seventies from 79, 780 when I first started, uh, uh, doing this stuff. And those would be, those books would be filled with, uh, advertisements for touts, guys like Gary Austin and Jim Feist and, <laughs> and you know, the, the old, the, the original guys. Um, and I was just drawn to the idea of trying to solve a puzzle, you know, like trying to, to you know, that, that was a competitive outlet for me was uh, trying to pick winners and, and, you know, getting pools and stuff like that. And so it was always a hobby. Then I got to Wall Street and, you know, that's a, that's a de facto part of your job on the trading desk is to talk sports and, and, uh, place bets and make pools and vent pools. And, and, uh, so that, that really helped, uh, um, you know, sort of take the endeavor to a new level. Um, and then at the same time, and then as I published my first book, because while on Wall Street, I had a, a terrible accident in New York City at the hands of a New York City ambulance when I was crossing the street on foot. And that laid me up in a wheelchair, literally, with my family across the country. And I had the idea to, you know, weave all the all of my life experiences from both sports betting and, and being a trader on Wall Street and being a baseball fan into a into a memoir. And um, that's, you know, so it's, it's definitely the destination or the journey, not the destination, because I'd never planned to write a book, but you write the first book and then there's an opportunity to write a second book. And, uh, and, and you learn so many people share the same passions that you do as well. Dude, what a story. Oh my goodness. I love this. Um, I, I, love the, I love the Wall Street background too. It's, it's kind of like the, oh, well, you know, the, the green, the green lumber fallacy is green wood, green lumber, whatever it is where, you know, somebody's why well, I watch baseball all the time or I watch football all the time. I should be able to pick winners. I, I feel like having any sort of analysis, I mean, actuary, uh, even and, and obviously Wall Street with the markets, like I feel like that's probably way more beneficial for a better than just uh, I've watched a lot of baseball or I've watched a lot of football. Like that's, oh, without a doubt, oh, I would, uh, you don't hear. I, I guess yeah, so. you don't you don't hear about it a ton, but for sure, like that's that should be a that should be. And you wonder going forward here with the legalization if that'll be more of a path. People moving from somebody who's working in the financial markets to the sports markets. I, I I can promise you there are people that are currently running circles around us in terms of handicapping who have no idea who some of the players are in these sports and they are in doing it entirely in the space of uh, of numerical modeling and, and probability theory and and really kind of cornering you know being you know in the in the this is you know, Joe said it perfectly at the beginning this is a green field there is com- there is no uh, you know. Tr- you know, tried and true way of doing this, like like there is, you know, for other, uh, you know, other markets, and you know, clearly there are people who are excelling at this that really, you know, they may they may not know, <laughs> you know, uh, the name of the you know the twenty fifth player on the Reds roster, but they know that there's value in plus two forty against the Nationals tonight. You know what I mean? 
So it's it's uh, it's really pretty cool how that has you know turned things on its head in a way. Um, and I have I'm curious, uh, Joe, for you. Uh, modeling in general uh, is something that you always had used as a trader. So it was pretty straightforward to apply the same tools to, um, you know, to handicapping baseball. Uh, you, fe- you felt like baseball was the no doubt place to start with modeling because there's so many games. You know, what, what are some of the you know, kind of tenets and core philosophies of your modeling approach that, uh, that you brought with you into the space? Yeah, I would say modeling was a, a no brainer for me. I think the critical reasoning aspect of sort of thinking through or, or coming up with a, a probability um, is very similar to what we do as traders. Because what traders do are, you know, you're making uh, decisions based on incomplete information. Um, and it's, it, it's the way you described your profession as a seismologist, too. It's, so if you're comfortable doing that, it's a very easy uh, and, and then at the same time, committing capital to those decisions, it's a very easy step to then apply some of that logic to, uh, you know, to sports betting. And baseball in particular, I found very attractive um, to attempt to model because I am not a coder. But in terms of creating spreadsheets with inputs, the great thing about baseball was um, it was the performance of each player is largely independent of other people on the field, other than how defense is affecting a picture. But, you know, we don't judge. We've learned to judge pictures solely on the uh, skill sets that they have that are not affected by uh, other uh, uh, other people on the field. And that was the great thing about baseball. I think I said it in, in the first book, which is, you know, the great thing about, like, you look at Randy Johnson's career, and it didn't matter what team he was on, what ballpark he was pitching in, who was catching who the umpire was, you could count on him to strike out 33% of the batters he faced, you know, and it, and that's a nice, uh, that's a nice part of a model when you can depend on that. Um, whereas I, you know, modeling other stuff like the NFL, um, I think Aaron Schatz is the one who says you can't, you can't say with certainty what Tom Brady would do without caveating in this coach's offense, play actioning to this running back and throwing to this receiver, he will, you know, complete 60% of his passes. Um, there's mm. just so much more interdependence. And so that's why I found baseball as uh, the the best, for, uh, for me at least, it was the best way to dive into, you know, real, really getting into sports and thinking about baseball betting as an investment and not just for entertainment, you know, which is a fine endeavor too, and that's fun. But to really be serious about both capital allocation and my conclusions, I, I needed to approach it like, uh, you know, like I would trading. I love this. Um, let me ask you. A, a a, yeah, well, yeah, the, the people that do football, the people that do football, like that's a good point. And it got me thinking, like we know a couple people who do some, and you do, especially with your totals modeling for football, but like baseball, for sure, you can absolutely model to the player level, but I don't think anybody's doing much modeling to the player level in, in the NFL. Like just, there's just too many moving parts at one time where you, they're mostly working with efficiencies and metrics like that. 
Like it, it does just add another level of uncertainty where you can't, like you said, like in a bat, and that bat's an independent event. Once the ball's in place, some funny things can happen. But like you said, with Sierra and all that, you can you can start to take out some of the some of the factors. But yeah, the, the the NFL, I've never really gotten into trying to do a whole lot of modeling because I've just struggled with. It just messes with my head. Yeah. There's too many things going on at one time. Yeah, yeah, take how you started this call with the news of this week. We can really put some tight bands around what removing Bryce Harper from the uh, Nationals lineup, you know, and then uh, holding for his replacement, and then putting him in the Phillies lineup. We can put some really tight bands around what that's going to do to the Phillies run scored in terms of increase and decreasing the uh, uh, Nationals. But you cannot do that with Antonio Brown moving from the Steelers to the Jets. Great point. Yes. So, yeah, Yeah. this goes exactly what you're saying. Yeah, the Raiders still have problems with their interior line. Right, for the Raiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Raiders still have a problem with their interior O-line. Derek Carr is still the same quarterback, and it may not matter at all. Or it could completely change the way that their philosophy is, you know, the the way they run their offense. So, yeah, you're 100% correct. It's hard, to, um, it's hard to do a wins above replacement for a really good left tackle. Yeah, you know, you know, right. you know right. what it's going to do. Matters. It's hard to put a number on it. Uh, right. Okay. Which is yeah. this is a great segue because one of the things that I felt like was especially powerful and useful about trading bases is that it was you were bringing um, a very new take to a space where. Um, people who were using models to do team level, you know, expectation of uh, who would win and lose. People were using models and they were beating the book badly, right? And then the books got smart and they were like, you know what? We can't offer these prices anymore because we're getting killed here. Uh, and our choices are to get sharper, to make sharper lines or to ban these players. And for whatever it was worth in Vegas, they were like, okay, well, we'll make sharper lines. And effectively, you know, I've heard, you know, interviews with guys like Mitch Lichman and, and uh, some of the other kind of, uh, you know, key, key, uh, you know, people who were doing this uh, back in the 80s and 90s, uh, modeling that is, where they were like, okay, they basically started copying the way we were doing things. And then the edges disappeared. But what was cool is trading bases rolls around and now you come up with a completely new approach to effectively tackle the same problem. And that differentiation right there is what produced an edge in the market. And I would say effectively what you're talking about doing coming into golf right now, which maybe only at best a handful of people you know, who are in this space are doing, is effectively bringing data into a space where before this, people who were betting golf were effectively just kind of looking at players past success on a given course. This guy's a ball striker. This course is good for ball striking. This guy's a, be- you know, a bomber. This course is, you know, rewards bombers. Like it was all qualitative. And now you bring in a much more quantitative approach to that exact same problem and you can solve it much more efficiently and you could really probably capture some pretty significant edges, I would imagine. Um, is this, you know, is, is as we now burgeon into this space of, you know, using, uh, uh, data and, um, you know, specifically strokes gain, which we're going to go way into detail in a second here. Um, you know, how do you balance that with some of the other more qualitative aspects of handicap and golf that were always kind of traditionally at play? Like this guy yeah. is a mental basket case on Sundays. He can't right. win a tournament. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a feel like there's right. a lot of intangibles you have to balance, right? For, for one thing, I can't, I can't, it's not that I don't believe those intangibles exist. 
it's that either one, I can't measure them, or two, even if I, uh, not only can I not measure them, but I can't, uh, I can't quantify, you know, I can't put it into the model. Um, so, and I also find, I will tell you, I also find a lot of those things about a guy having a mental case on, on, on Sunday, you know, I'll, the first thing I'll do is I will now pull up my database of the guys, of <laughs> strokes gained from round one, two, three, and four. And I'll look at his career and I'm like, yeah, no, it's just not, that's not a true narrative. And I hope it stays out there because, you know, it hopefully it'll create, you know, an edge for me. I, I will tell you that the, yeah, it's, in fact, it's really incredible. And one of the great reasons is that there is so much room in this space um, is that the way people consume golf is not through box scores and not through spreadsheets. They consume it by watching it on the weekend. And that is a highlight package. Oh, so yeah. You, I, in fact, somebody told me and, and the, you know, I was talking about one golfer and they said, ah, you know what the thing is, he just cannot putt. He's just a, not a good putter. And, and, you know, he especially can't putt on Sunday. And, and I, I asked him, I said, how many putts do you think you've seen of his, in, <laughs> you know, this year? And, and on top of that, now remember that television is only showing you the, be- the good or the bad. That are yeah. crucial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the high leverage and, and ones. So he, he, <laughs> right. And, and I said, uh, you know, and he didn't really have a number, but I said, let me tell you this. He took 2,500 putts on the PGA Tour this year. You, I think, have seen 30. So there is I don't no know. That, that, that sounds like a lot. Maybe he is a bet. 30, 30 might be high. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's the thing. Like, you really, to me, you cannot, just watching it, you know, it's, it's, it's the old Billy Bean thing about how he didn't even watch the games in the early years, right? Because yeah, right, right, your right. eyes lie. And that's yeah. the problem with, with golf. Your eyes really do lie if you're only consuming it um, based on the telecast, on the highlight show, uh, you yeah. know, essentially of of the you know the last few players. Um, yeah. yeah. So there. So now again, could there be some guys that you know? There, I, I do believe in nerves affecting people a lot more than I believe somebody's able to raise their game in the clutch. Because then I'm like, well, why didn't he try on Thursday? Um, but <laughs> I do believe the opposite of that, which is you know people can choke under pressure. Um, but it is hard to quantify and I'd much rather rely on, on my database of, of, uh, big catalogs, every single shot of his and puts it against the baseline. Um, then, you know, somebody feeling that, uh, you know, Paul Casey is a choke artist on Sunday or something Is that, you want to dispel any myths about Paul Casey? I don't have Paul Casey specifically in, in front of me, but I, I just would say it's hard to win tournaments. Um, you know, it's it's not a it is not like making free throws. You know, like where where you say, well, you know, the fact that he he gets to the lead on Sunday. Uh, um, I, I did have looked at Casey, and I, it is it, let's put it this way: it is hard to really truly look at the data and find any golfer and say uh, they perform differently in this case than, you know, in round four, than in round three, or, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it just, it, it, it's, it's hard. And, and I think those narratives do help 
create some wagering opportunities. So I like I, this. You know, okay. Yeah, of yeah. course, of course. All you know, all all narratives for sure. Uh, you know, the, if you have a narrative that is speaking to a truth, uh, it's useful. If you have a narrative that you know to be complete BS, then that, that is equally useful potentially, right? I mean, like for sure. Um, you know, it cuts both ways if you are paying attention to this sort of stuff. Um, but let's uh, let's talk a little bit about strokes gained. This is. Um, you know, this is a, fa- a phenomenal concept, you know, from, you know, for a, talking to a couple of football guys, um, this feels like a pretty, like a second cousin of DVOA kind of, um, you effectively are, yeah. you know, a, and, and this, and by the way, if you're listening to this and you're like getting into modeling and if this, you know, if, if this book, if this, you know, this conversation, this whole series of podcasts we've done this, you know, this season has inspired you. Um, my opinion at its core is data is, you know, is um, more useful if you can strip out some of the uh, some of the noise associated with how strong your opponent is, uh, you know, and, you know, adjusting for average. And, and you want everything relatively centered to an average player, neutral player, neutral course, whatever the case is. And it really feels like strokes gained attacks exactly that for golf. Is that fair? Yeah, it's very elegant. I think it's the most elegant uh, creation of all the sort of linchpin uh, of the different sports, whether it's per in basketball or DVOA um, in in football. Uh, we, that can be a hard concept because of the percentages. I, you know, the baseline being zero and then kind of, under, you know, it's hard. I find that to conceptualize sometimes. Um, and in and then, of course, in baseball, war is, it, you know, can be very amorphous in, in terms of even just explaining it, um, especially for the baseline of what the replacement player is. But strokes gained, that is an elegant creation that is zero sum. And it's so zero sum that this is a way to think of it. Everything that happens on the golf course affects everybody else. In other words, when Phil Mickelson swats it at the putt, um, as he did last year in the U.S. Open and picks up a two-stroke penalty on, on the 14th hole. Everybody else that played the 14th hole that day will split a fraction of that two-stroke penalty as a positive oh for them. Gosh, and course. so that happens on every... Now, then there's also some weaknesses to think about. Let's say Tony Romo is, is invited to the Byron Nelson and he shoots 20 over, um, over his two rounds and misses the cut. Well, everybody in that field is actually going to split those 20 strokes that he was below because everything's got to sum to zero. So one thing that so the 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 raw strokes data that everybody has, it's beautiful. Like I say, it's elegant, but it and it's also the the, the numbers that everybody uses. They're used on the telecast. It's what people pull off the uh, uh, the websites. It's what Fantasy uh, uh, National has in there. Uh, website as well. But think about the example I just gave you with Tony Romo. Is it really repeatable to have Tony Romo in, he only plays in one tournament a year, just the guys in that tournament benefited from his 20 strokes gain that accrued to them. So, and, and the answer, of course, is, well, you there needs to be a strength of field adjustment. And yeah, that's sure. not done. Like you, so we talk about green fields, like that's one of the linchpins of where I think you know, if my data has an edge on what's out there, let alone what people, you know, are just narratively using, um, I think it's, it's that. So um, it's, it is, it's a great building block. And I think there's more that users can do with it as well. 
Yeah, you've, you've got my head spinning there with like what needs to be done now. Like there's yeah, a lot of work. It's like a grand it's, inversion. It's like when we talk about this with down. everything yeah. in every single sport. Yeah, there needs to be, there always needs to be more context because as good right. as the stats well, are, I'll as good give, as the data, I'll the, give you the, another. The more context you can get, the better, the better it's going to be. I'll give you another one. So strokes gained has four components, of course. Uh, it had off the tee. Uh, which is uh, essentially on a standard 72-yard uh, or 72-par course with uh, you know, four par threes and four par fives, there will be 14 off the tee measurements, and everybody in the field will take them. So it's a, you know it's a great comparison. Um, and of course, then there's there's approach shots, which are any shots into the green, and that includes uh, tee shots from par threes. And then, of course, there's putting. That's three of the, the uh, uh, components. The fourth is around the green, right? Now, you will see, for instance, uh, Aaron Baddeley was, you know, something incredible um, out of the sand last week at, um, uh, at the Arnold Palmer. I, I think at one point he had like 13 out of 14 sand saves. And sure enough, you, you go to his strokes gained and, and you'll see he had a phenomenal outlying amount of positive strokes gained, you know, uh, around the green. Now, my problem with that component compared to the other three is the only people who get to utilize oh, that classic are guys yeah. that have already made mistakes. <laughs> of course. Me, it's, like, it, it's like finding out, like, like when you talk about a picture who is, man, I, 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 my dad, so this, this is a great story about my dad. Not an analytics guy, right? Didn't think analytically. And I remember the Phillies traded for John Denny one year. And he was, uh, and people were extolling like, John Denny, he gets a lot of double plays and he's got a great pickoff move. And my dad's answer was, well, he needs it because he always has a guy on first base. <laughs> and I kind of feel yeah. that. I kind of feel that way about these strokes yes. around the green. All that, yes. all those strokes gained really are are simply recovery from mistakes. And of course. yes, that's important. But you know, you just hear people quote that stat along with with the other three, and it's uh, it to me it is has way less meaning. And not Ooh. everybody gets the same amount of attempts. Like, I like I say, we all know everybody yeah. has 14 key shots, and they're all going to have 18 greens I, yeah. to put on, et cetera. Key, key question, piggybacking on exactly this point. Are there some tournaments where around the green matters more, though? Like, there has to be some tournaments where you have, you know, smaller greens that's a little, you know, a little tighter. Right. Conditions are a little tougher. You're trying, you're playing par golf. You're not, you know, racking up birdies. Like, you know, is that is there's got to be some, you know, positive correlation. That's the there puzzle, between, right? Yeah. No, no question. And, and that's the puzzle of, well, when do I rely on it? And is it really around the green? Or is it, you know, and maybe that is the case on, on like you say, where there's always, where there's small greens and waste areas. So in that case, probably, yes, the actual recovery shots and chipping are very important. Or would I rather have my, or is it a course with that is just going to be, everything is, is protected by bunkers. And therefore, I really want to get more granular. I want to know sand work. Sure. Um, yeah. you know, and that's a case of, okay, now I have to dig a little deeper and break out this guy's strokes gained around the green into... You know, is he doing it with sand work? Is he doing it with chipping? Is he doing it with hole outs? And are they really repeatable? Or should I make every hole out a, you know, should I pretend that that's really a one putt? Because it's the same as him leaving it eight inches away. 
you know, is it really, did a guy really get one more stroke because it went in? You know, that's, that's something to think about, uh, you know, and that's obviously I'm playing around with some of the stuff. I don't have definitive answers. I do, you know, on, on strength of field, I feel like I've, I've worked that thing to the bone. Uh, but the okay. other stuff, it's just a constant thinking game. Okay. So you, you feel like you have that's relatively good. The, the, yeah, the takeaway, the lesson there. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest lesson is to, to dig into that stuff, to keep going, because yeah. like it, it's really made me think of what I did with some of my college basketball stuff when I started smashing some numbers together. And I did, like we, we, we talk about a lot, and we do a lot of this, comparing against the mean, and a lot of the best teams in each conference, I was, I was showing really, really bad defensive efficiency metrics as far as how I was calculating them. And I looked and looked, and finally, some of the ones with the worst defensive metrics I could I could put together. They were some of the highest scoring teams in the country. Like they don't have bad defensive metrics. They're just beating the shit out of teams so much that they they give up a lot of garbage points in the second half. Like course, it's really just skewed all to hell. It's almost it's almost like I think you say like with the, around the green. You know those people already made a mistake. In this case, it's not a mistake. It just it, it creates a, a different situation that other teams aren't getting put into. And it, it, it lacks context there, and it, it makes the comparison right. skewed. Where okay. If you can get to the meat of something. So if, uh, if you have a relatively clean data set, if you have a relatively strong feel for the metrics that, um, you know, that define a golfer, so to speak, like effectively you have a, you have a, uh, um, a four factors, so to speak, for any given golfer. Right. Uh, what is the approach on any given tournament in certain terms of like how you get started handicapping it? Like, do you have a course profile for every potential course on the PGA tour? Um, you know, uh, what, what's, what is the next step then? Yes. Okay. So I will tell you that for my first step isn't breaking that, uh, uh, isn't breaking his, uh, strokes gain into the components. It's using the total strokes gain. That's the whole golfer that I'm bringing to the course. It's essentially my power rating. And I talk about it in the book. In fact, I refer to it as, as par. That's the uh, metric that I introduce, which is performance first average per round. Um, so that I have every golfer uh, and it's adjusted for, for strength of field. Um, so I have every golfer on a, um, on an even footing uh, for comparative purposes. And I can look right away and say, okay, I think this guy is a quarter stroke better per round than this guy guys a half stroke better etc and then for project so that's how i would grade if you were playing on the so-called neutral field right on a neutral course that nobody's ever seen before um that's the that's how now i would i would have these players judged against each other and incidentally that's virtually and we can get to this but that's virtually exactly how I grade the players this week. I there is virtually no other factors I put into it, and I'll explain why. But for a for every tournament, then what I do is say, okay, I need to know. I do need to know course history. Uh, I need to know a player's course history because some some of what you're saying, right? If it, I would rather look at a player's history than try to say, okay, they have small greens, therefore I think. Um, you know, uh, you know, recovery is important because my feeling is, Hey, if they've played this 10 times, it should come out in the data who is better at doing it as opposed to us trying to guess. Yes. So the, but there's a, there's a crucial factor and this goes to the players this week before I do it from the 
player's perspective. I do it from the course perspective. In other words, do the players in general, show, what kind of correlation are there, is their performance from year to year on that course? And then I'll look and see who has the positive course factors and who has negative. And it turns out, for instance, for the Masters, it is the most consistent course by a mile on tour, which to me, therefore, means I think it's the best design course because it consistently rewards the same skills every year. And it shows up in terms of year-over-year correlation of golfers that play the course two years in a row. You know, you look at year T and year T plus one, and you say, what's the correlation of everybody in the field that played it in year T? To their, not to their score, but to their strokes gained, because weather can affect the score. You know, you know sure, how yeah, the yeah, 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 right, they, right. You don't want to be so you, subject you to that, right? Right. You want to make sure you're comparing strokes gained. And the correlation from year T to year T plus one at Augusta is by far stronger than any other course on tour. And TPC Sawgrass, which they're playing this week, is by far the lowest correlation to the point that it's essentially zero. So once I know that, now I know how much weight to put on the individual player's course history. Uh, You know, just to to throw numbers at you, uh, for the Masters, you know, a player's uh, strokes gained in, in the prior year explains more than a third of his strokes gained the next year. And like I say, at TPC, it's almost zero. Um, so wow. that's uh, that's how I then wait each week how it, differently how I would be waiting course history. Wow. Wow. Okay. That yeah. makes total sense. And that's that. But actually, you know what? That jives just looking at the past champions. Tiger Woods is the only active yeah. golfer who's won two times here, which is amazing. That is, you, that you know, is it's, yep, it's hey, unbelievable. Well, uh, not only like one, two times, they've had set. Let me get this. Yeah. Since 2002, 17 different champions the last 17 years. Incredible. Personally, I think that's a bug, not a feature. Yeah. Um, right, and right, 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 right. Right. I think that it's a little too, there's too much randomness, therefore, in how the course plays. Uh, as opposed to actually rewarding um, the the tra- players with certain skill sets, it's okay if it, it rewards different skill sets as a, as another course. But this doesn't seem to do it. It's almost like there's 18 different skill sets. It, it's just random. Uh, it, there's yeah. just too much randomness yeah. um, well, in the setup so for my life. <laughs> let's dive deeper into the randomness. Yeah, so so lately, third major, I can guess pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, like, does the U.S. Open bother you a lot? It seems like that's the one I just can't get anything right well, it, as far it as does, the, the, yeah. just the courses are so different. Yes. It, right. I think we all get frustrated with Mike Davis and the USGA, right. In, in terms of what they did, you know, the Shinnecock last year, Shinnecock in uh, 2004, uh, the Olympic club here in San Francisco in 99, you know, when, when the ball, you know, they, they literally put a hole on a hill. Um, and it's it, so, yes, that it, that is annoying. <laughs> um, but I do like, that the U.S. Open tends to reward the same skill sets. I've changed a little That's bit true. once they went to Chambers That's Bay us. and Aaron Hills. Yeah. But before that, you really did. Um, you had to be a precise driver. And then, of course, you had to have, you know, iron plays. And I like that we did get repeat champions like Ratif Goosen and Lee Jansen and Payne Stewart and, of course, Tiger. Um, guys that that same skill set was rewarded, like Curtis Strange. Um, and now maybe Kepka too, right? We, we're yeah, following yeah. in that uh, path. So yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I get 
when they if it gets tricked up, I don't like it. But I don't mind if they're trying to you know reward pre- precision um, in in a different way than is normally done on tour. Plus, we get the drama of Phil not being able to crack it. It's uh, it's pretty <laughs> spectacular. Um, let's dive into some of the more randomness though of the Players Championship because if it wasn't sure. already more, if it wasn't already the most uh, or you know one of the least. Um, you know, predictable, I guess is a bad word to say it, but if it wasn't already one of the more random and uncertain tournaments, they've made it more difficult this year because they've moved it up in the calendar by two months. Uh, is yeah. it fair to say that being two months earlier, we're expecting different grass conditions. We've already, I've seen and heard reports that the rough is substantially um, you know, less filled in. Um, we're expecting cooler weather on the tune of at least 10 degrees. Um, we're expecting windier weather, which could make for windier, f- yep. absolutely fascinating watching all 17. Uh, and, um, you know, player conditioning is different this time of year. A lot of these guys aren't really getting into shape until we get into the summer months here. Uh, is, you know, are all of these things, are, are there ways to factor those into a handicap this week? Or do you just sort of say, "Look, it's going to be an uncertain tournament. Let's, you know, let's we'll we'll take the we'll take what we can get." Uh, yeah, I think the variance bands are a lot bigger. And as far as trying to project winners, um, you know, look, it is still an extremely difficult course. So being a good golfer is better than being a oh, yeah. not good sure. golfer. Sure. But because of the randomness, it is you do not. There is no way I expect for the top five guys to be in the top 10 on on Sunday. It just it does never plays out that way. So while I would always prefer to, you know, it, it, to project a Justin Rose or a Justin Thomas or, or a DJ, I still, you know, I think you, if you really want to bet futures, you want to throw a ring around the guys that are like between 40 and 60 to 1. Um, and realize that they're a lot closer to being on even footing this week with DJ Justin and, and Justin and Rory than they are on a normal week. It's it's a um, it's a lower threshold to overcome on this course. Uh, but I still that all that aside about trying to pick the winner, um, I'm still going to be drawn to uh, matchups. Uh, sure and I'm you know it, because now it's just one golfer against one golfer, and I'm. You know, give me the right, you know, I'm going to want the better golfer, but if the price is right, I'll certainly take the underdog too, just based on, uh, uh, you know, the relative merits of each guy. I like this. Um, so then that plays right into this next question then. Um, you Do you feel like head-to-heads and, and three balls are the appropriate way to attack this tournament? Um, yes and no. Yes on the head-to-head, <laughs> three balls, no, and that applies. And that applies to any tournament, yes. And, and let me give you an example on the three balls. Look, three balls are fun, right? It's always fun to get paid more than you risk, right? If you get your projection right. And oh, three always. balls in virtually every situation, and I think it is true for every situation this week, nobody is actually um, laying juice. Uh, they're all plus odds um, in, in three balls. Even DJ this week, I think, is plus 110 or maybe up to 120 in, in his grouping. Um, and normally he might be a minus 110 or minus 120. But so that part's fun. But here's the, to, to me, and as a former professional market maker in the stock market, this drives me insane because I feel like it's a, uh, I feel it's a slap in the face of our profession. So you look this week at the three balls and you realize they are, you have 
prestigious golfers matched up with each other. So prestigious, in fact, that if you look at the single matchups, you can get all three combinations of the of a of a foursome, right? Um, and you look and you say, okay, well, what am I saying in the three ball? I'm actually betting a parlay there, right? I'm yeah, betting right. that DJ yes, is are. going to beat each yeah. guy. Well, you can look at the daily odds and say, well, what if I parlayed these two, which you can't do in golf. No, but right. you can, they don't you, you know, you can sure. figure out the math and you say, okay, that would be the fair price for betting DJ. And then you look at the three balls and they're adding in another 6% of juice. And that drives me nuts. Oh, it's just course, not necessary. Yeah. It yeah. is, <laughs> it, it's, it, it drives me crazy. So in that sense, it's always matchups is the best place to express whatever eggs you, you, you may have on, on a golfer. Um, the three balls are fun. And I did find a couple this week that, that I'm playing. Um, but the truth is, you know, if you, if you've, if you've got a relative rating system of golfers, the best way, you know, futures are just a sideshow and maybe fun for entertainment or this Sunday sweat, but it's the daily and the 72 hole matchups that you should be attacking. Yeah. Unless you have tax agreed at 50 to one to win the masters. Oh, that's fun. Oh, it is. Did, I mean, did we hit on why we like the Masters by accident here, Whale? As far as it's, you know, we compared, if you compare it to the tournament we're talking about right now, like the Masters, you can just go back and without even being as deep as Joe or, you know, any of the guys that we talk to that do golf, like we don't go nearly as deep, but you can just sit there and look at history and know that it's going to be a lot more predictive than any of the other tournaments, just because it does, it's the same thing every year, plays the same. There is a lot of uh, repeatability. I think maybe that is why we like the Masters and I get scared off a lot of these other tournaments. And then I just also too, I mean, Joe answered the, I had this question queued up, and he answered it before I even asked it, the three ball thing. As I've been doing a lot with uh, conference tournament odds, I've noticed some of the, I'll just say the shittier books, you've noticed like, oh, the odds aren't as good for this team at one book. And then you look at that book and the odds aren't as good for any of the teams. Like, oh, you're you're just a bad book. You're giving me a bad, a bad marketplace here and I'm going to stop looking for future odds here. Everything's terrible. And you do see that if you look from book to book at three balls, some of the differences. And I feel like it's just sure. maybe for the, the casual better that's it's a little more hidden it, you know, even you know obviously with futures when there's 8 10 20 50 100 lines you're not you're not going to be able to sit and calculate it you know in your head but when you do a head to head it's a lot more apparent when they're trying to pull one over on you yeah 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 can i ask a quick question uh the um what i guess you know first first of all uh if you are specifically interested in matchups uh you know ch- definitely go to at magic rad sf on twitter and uh check out some of joe's thoughts on his timeline uh some very very useful information right there for uh for your handy clap capping pleasure um but in general but you know publishing a book about the master's preview talking about it on podcast doing this media and stuff um what is an ideal outcome of all of this besides you know, just growing the game and, and getting more people into the marketplace. Like, do you see a future as, you know, sports betting becomes more and more prevalent in the United States where we have some, 
you know, higher liquidity in these markets. We have, you know, opportunity to get more down on golf betting, more opportunity to make exactly the type of, op, you know, I don't want to do a three ball, but I would, you know, love to see if I could parlay, you know, this guy beats this guy and this guy beats this guy. You know, those options really aren't available right now. And in fact, we have to wait for no. you know, a handful of tournaments a year to get make the cut props and and things like that. Right. Like, what are some of the ideal outcomes kind of of this experience you're going through right now, publishing this preview and, you know, and, and going forward yeah. in terms of handicap and golf? Yeah, the ideal outcome is one, it grows the interest in golf betting um, because if it grows the interest, you know, let's think of it as, as the poker revolution, right? That was good for everyone. Um, sure. It was good for the old timers. It was, um, and, and it was good for new people. And it was, it, people discovered how much fun it was. Um, and at the same time, it brought more people to the game, which created more liquidity. And yes, it, it, cre- it brought in some cash cows as well, or some donkeys, um, you know, as the pros would say. <laughs> uh, and, and those are, that's, you know, that's, it, this does provide an entertainment. Um, so there is a, if there's an entertainment tax for people, that's fine too. Like it's, it's fun. And, and that's an element of what we do. And I would like to see more people doing it. And once that happens, I think there will be innovations at the book level. Um, for instance, it is insane that you can only buy guys for, yes, they're going to win the tournament instead of no, they're not going to. It is um, insane. And, yeah. and, and the, 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 you know, as I always say, the, it shouldn't be to me, everything should be presented how we talk about everything on wall street. And that is as a percentage of a hundred. Um, so that if you're telling me, you know, that Dustin Johnson is 10 to one to win this week, well, that means to me, he's selling for $9. In other words, you can buy that stock for $9 and whoever wins at the tournament, at the end of the week, it, you, it's a hundred, you know, it's a hundred dollars per share. So if you t- see, if I, if I told you, if you, this is how it would work on a trading desk. Um, you, you might say to me or the resident, you know, degenerate on the desk, Hey, how's Dustin Johnson trading this week? And yeah, I right. say, oh, he's trading at nine. And you would say, you know what? I'll buy five shares at nine. And what that would telling me is, Hey, if Dustin Johnson wins, I'm going to owe you $500 at the end of the week. <laughs> and, yeah. and if he doesn't win, you're going to owe me 45. And that is so much more intuitive than somebody looking on a board and seeing plus 900 plus 1350, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Now, the other side of that is, is that you, you'll also say to the guy, okay, uh, I can buy him at nine. Where can I sell him? And, the, and then the guy will say, yeah, you can sell him at seven. So now right now, and that, that's what more, you know, 13 to one. So you're like, okay, I can buy at nine or sell at seven. That to me is how you're going to grow golf betting because the most frustrating thing I think for golf bettors is a guy who you pick to win and he's there through Saturday, and there's really no way for you to monetize any portion of that bet unless he wins on Sunday. This um, is giving me, and to me, yeah, that, that market should be trading all weekend. Yeah. Um, and there should be a no option all weekend. And so that, I think, is an innovation <laughs> oh. that's coming. Uh, yeah, everything should be two and, weeks. Yeah. yeah, everything should be two weeks. That, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I think that, uh, um, you know, way in the future – it is going to be going the way of exchanges and it will be peer to peer and that yeah. they'll just take some rent, you know, just like you rent. Like I always, the example I always give is, you know, the casinos don't play cards against the poker player. They just right. charge rent for the people who do want to play each other. And eventually right, right, right. our market will get there, but that's way in the future. Yeah. 
that you're giving me crazy oh. flashbacks. It, remind, it reminds to... me of the horse players. Oh, what? You know, the horse players in the, you know, England, wherever that there's a lot of people, they, they, they model their entire betting strategy around laying favorites. Oh yeah. You know, just lay betting on horses. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's just a huge thing. And you talk to people over here who bet horses and it's, you know, especially on like the horse books you can get on some of the offshores like that. That's not a thing here. You're betting a one place show, one place show trifectas. Like, oh, there's, there's a yeah. lot of people that just, they're betting, they're betting against, that's, that's all they're doing is betting against one horse at a bigger price. And there's a lot more fun. Yeah. Speaking of that, how come nobody has ever offered exact betting in golf? I mean, if you really want to, great question. Yeah how how come I can't bet? Uh, oh my god! Know, how come I can't box um, DJ and can't lay this week? It's like, oh my god! <laughs> Why can't you? Right? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, I know. Great question. Yeah. Oh man! Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that, but uh, I mean, yeah, to Andy's point, like, yeah, there's a good 80% of the sports betting populace in the U.S. who doesn't know what the word lay means. Uh, and then, you know, and the, the, the buying and selling that you're describing, Joe, that's giving me flashbacks of uh, World Sports Exchange back in the day. Oh, well, those uh, guys, oh. those were the <laughs> Washington traders. No, I knew those yeah. guys in a, you know, I, I never personally met them. It was Steve and I can't remember the other guy, Jay, I think. Uh, Stevie yeah, J yeah, and, and obviously yeah. the, the tragic demise and all that. Um, but uh, yes, well, all they did was take what we did every day. Um, yeah. They were on the Picos. They were auction traders on the Picos. And, you know, they literally <laughs> did what we were doing on, <laughs> on paper all day and put it up on, on, the, uh, on the screens. And that is the proper way to me to run a book. Incredible. Incredible. Um, short of the demise at the end uh okay so uh i I, we 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 gave you a bunch of questions uh we didn't get to everything but that's okay i'm gonna you being a baseball guy i'm gonna throw you a curveball uh here this is something we didn't prep you for um but but let's say let's say i'm i'm making book and i come you i'm like this guy knows golf i need help i'm getting so many of my betters want these props and i just don't know how to line them um how would you go about putting up a fair line for will tiger woods win another masters and that's a tough one that is tough because because you're you're looking you you know you want to measure the career um that he has well i think i'd look at at this one and say okay he's you gotta figure that at this point at his age and at his health, his current um, odds, he will never have a better chance to win the Masters than the one that's in front of him. And that will, will be true next right. year. It and that will only be true. decay. It will only decay. Right. right. Yes. Agreed. Right. That's the correct word. Exactly. Um, so I think this year, I don't give him more than a 7% chance. And it's actually probably a little lower I think 6% because I think I had him around 16 to 1. Um, so a 6% chance to win. Um, and, you know, so then you figure he's going to play four to six more truly competitively. If there was no decay, the odds of him, you know, of not winning one would be what, 0.94 or, uh, yep, yeah, 0.94 yep, 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 to yep. the sixth, right? Yep. Uh, but we know there is the case. So that would be my baseline in terms of, hey, if anybody wants to buy there, yes, sold to you. Um, but if they're, <laughs> if they, you know, and then I'd work on some Someone decay from that. there. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, that, so I think that's how I would go about doing it. It would be much, much tougher if you asked me, you know, you know, about, you know, some, some, you know, Cameron Champ, like that. Boy, that would be a that would be a tough one to try to, or Justin Thomas. Sure. Um, yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Someone who's going to have an arc as opposed to just a decay. Yeah. Right. Yes. An arc. Exactly. Yeah. For yep. sure. For sure. Um, that price would have been about plus two twenty two. By the way, um, basically, you're saying there's a thirty one percent chance. Uh, that he wins in the next six years, uh, which is about plus 222. Um, interesting. How about uh, just Will Tiger win another major in his career? Boy, now, right. Now you're getting more chances. Um, more and chances. And while yeah. I don't think, yep. And and while I don't think there is, I think in the old days, you would bump them up if they were being, if it was being played at Pebble or St. Andrews. Um, and that's probably not as true anymore. Mm, so he okay. probably doesn't have the true course advantages that he did over the field uh, 15 years ago. Um, but I, I think there is still a, a decent chance. Uh, I think it's less than 50%, but it's not much less than 50%. Um, you know, so maybe I'd make that market uh, 45, 50, you know, you can sell at 45. I'd buy a 45, sell to you at 50% chance. Okay. Um, off the top of my head of that sort of feels, Right. Uh, I, I think that's where I would be comfortable, you know, at least starting to see which way, you know, which way money started flowing in. I, I certainly I would be comfortable it. starting it there. I love it. Um, lastly, I want to put you on the record with a prediction. Is Tiger Woods going to win a major this year? God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it, it would be great. Um, I know. No, I'll take the safe bet to that and say okay. no. Uh, I don't think any, I think the best chance is going to be Augusta in terms of the courses that he's playing. I don't think he will have the dominance that at Pebble that he was once set up for. Um, Beth Page is where the PGA is. Uh, he also dominated there. Um, yeah, he did. This year, or not, it kind of but, feels like this year or not at all, really. It does, I gotta yeah, say. Yeah, I like, I'll tell you what, I like him at the courses, more of the PGA type courses, like like in St. Louis last year, um, maybe Harding Park next year, uh, which is where the PGA is. Uh, um, might be and and Augusta's look because Augusta rewards prior play and experience. He's always alive, you know. He's always a live dog there. Always a live um, dog. Yep, I agreed. Agreed. Okay. Well, this was freaking fantastic. I honestly, we could go on for another couple hours i have so much i would like to pick your brain on about golf handicapping and uh for sure this has not only not only this discussion but the book that you wrote uh and um you know the pre the preview for the masters as well as the work you're doing on twitter has you know definitely inspired more interest in my my interest in betting golf so thank you for that and um yeah best of luck with everything uh where can people track you down and uh where where can people buy your book so like you said, um, the uh, on, on Twitter, I'm at Magic Rat uh, SF. That's a Springsteen reference ending, you know, and then followed up with SF for San Francisco, where I'm based. Uh, and on the uh, the book, the uh, both, you know, the trading bases was available, was available, you know, wherever books are sold. Uh, the master's preview is exclusively available on Amazon in uh, digital and uh, uh, physical um, uh, form. Uh, but yep, you can you can find it on Masters, and it's Joe Pita, and Pita is spelled P E T A.
I love this. Well, best of luck, Joe. And uh, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, and, yeah. you know, this is, uh, if you know, but you absolutely can count on us trying to bend your ear again uh, to talk golf as we kind of explore this space now that we have uh, the right tools. 